As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. It's to be a good employer and be a good customer and a good partner whenever you're doing anything real estate related. Before we get into today's episode, I want to mention today's best ever partner and give you a free gift. And that partner is Fun That Flip, and they're going to be giving you a free deal analysis spreadsheet. You know who Fun That Flip is, don't you? Because you're a loyal best ever listener. They've been a sponsor on the show. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fun That Flip, has been on the podcast multiple times, giving us his insight on the online lending process. Fun That Flip provides fast, reliable funding for your house flip projects. They're an online platform, makes the application process entirely easy, and they've got a whole bunch of experts on their team who can help you get funding in 24 hours and close within as few as seven days. And all of you best ever listeners, you're getting a free spreadsheet to help you analyze your projects. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever, and you'll get a free deal analysis tool. It'll help you provide a scope of work for your projects, create the scope of work, analyze the profitability of the project, or if it's not profitable, you need to know that too, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Super important. You can print out all the detailed reports. And that will help you get your deals funded faster. Go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Get that free analysis tool, fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff. We've interviewed Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others. How you doing, Mark Spidell? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. Mark is a full-time real estate investor and financial analyst. He's a real estate investor with 34 doors valued at over $4 million, specifically $4.5 million. He invests in commercial vacation rentals, buy and holds. He does some flipping, some out-of-state investing. He's got a... Nice sampling of different investing experiences. Really looking forward to diving in. Based in Glenwood Springs, Colorado. With that being said, Mark, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? 
Sure. As you mentioned, I've been doing a variety of real estate things, and that really came about from having a background in finance, and in that background, evolved slowly and surely into more and more real estate-related things, whether it was banking, did some mortgage-backed securities types things for a while, and did some real estate valuation stuff for a while. So all that led me to meet a lot of really interesting people that were real estate investors, or they were involved with real estate investing. And I just thought, gosh, you know, why aren't I doing more of that? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about these different types of investments that you're doing. What type of commercial investing is it? It's a a small office complex. It has two buildings and has a variety of tenants, has a title company, state farm agent, real estate agency, a specialty dentist, and then a couple nonprofits. So it's just now fully leased up after I bought it three years ago. So it's doing really well. Hmm. Can you tell us how you found that deal and the numbers on the deal? Well, I was working with an agent who was helping me buy some condos, and he happened to have this listing. Consequently, also, I used to work for a bank that held the loan on this building, and so I knew a little bit about the building before that. So I had a little bit of an unfair advantage there in that I knew it was decent. I knew the tenants were fairly stable, and it was in the heart of the downturn. There was not a lot of liquidity in for, with this kind of thing. And it basically worked on it for a few months. It definitely took a while to get the deal done and got the right price. And yeah, so far, it's, it's definitely my best investment. You said in the heart of downturn, you've owned it for three years. 2014, things were doing okay then. I'm thinking downturn was 2008 or my mix. No, well, you know, I guess it depends on what you want to use. Here locally, the commercial market was very soft at that point in time. And so I started working on it in early 14. And I would say that at that point in time, we were definitely coming out, but things were were still fairly illiquid. Mm -hmm. Anyway, did a lot of my buying, though, of -of out-of-state houses, though, in the 08, 09 timeframe. Just to complete the story on this deal, what was the occupancy level when you bought it three years ago? There was two spaces that were not occupied. And... Really, the previous owners were not real estate investors. They had inherited the building. And to get it leased up, it was going to take a little bit of money and a little bit of effort to reconfigure some spaces, do some improvements. And it did take some time and some money to get that done. But once it was done, I've been very fortunate and have gotten some good tenants to come in. So, yeah, now we're fully occupied and the income swing is going to be really nice, especially this year. You've piqued my curiosity. How many spaces are there in total? The building is a little bit of a flexible setup, but currently I have three tenants in one of the buildings. And then in the building that did have the vacancy, when I bought it, there were only three tenants and now there are five tenants. Okay. So you split it up and have more people leasing from you. That's what I was curious about. You said reconfigure, because when I hear there are only two spaces not occupied, I'm thinking, well, that's not that tough of a job to get two places occupied, but you were a little bit creative with how you reconfigured it. Why did you reconfigure it? And we tell us the story about that. Sure. The vacant space is really related to a previous tenant that was a title company, and they had legacy uses, basically a lot of paper. So... The only way you could get to one of the spaces was to go through the title company office. 
And the previous owners were trying to lease the space with that setup still in place, thinking that they would have a tenant just come and want to lay down a lot of money to reconfigure the entries and a lot of wall work. On top of that, it was extremely dated. So I basically said, you know what, let's just do this right and have the entry where it needs to be, make it very attractive and comfortable for people. And sure enough, it worked. How much you buy it for? 1.14. And what do you think it's worth now? Conservatively, 1.8, maybe 2, depending on the market. What's your plan for this one? Hard to say at this point. I have had some people without solicitation just ask me if I'd be interested in selling. At this point, it's a nice place for me to actually have my own personal office. But what's interesting is there is parcels nearby that are underutilized and it's in a part of town that is in a good location near a lot of good attractions and I think that in 20 years the whole area could possibly be redeveloped and it may or may not be part of that but for the time being I'm going to hold tight. So we've got this small office complex. Did you say that was your favorite or most profitable purchase? Well, it is the most profitable cash flow <laughs> wise now, but obviously if I sold it, I would have a, a nice gain on that. So my most successful investment. Mm-hmm. What about vacation rentals? What were you doing with those and are you still buying vacation rentals? I currently have four vacation rental doors. The smallest is just a studio, and then the largest is a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath luxury home. And I do still own and operate those. The market that I am in locally here is very tourist-centric, and uh, it's a lot of fun in a lot of ways. I won't say it's easy and it's not a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, and it is very lucrative if you are disciplined and dedicated to doing it the right way. And what's the right way to do it? I would say just don't go cheap and be customer-centric. When I was coming up through various jobs and careers as a young person and into my professional life, I did do some hospitality work, and I would say that there is a bit of a craft and a discipline to doing it right. And So it's just a matter of treating people well. It's a matter of having good customer service controls in place as well as, I think, just giving people a nice product and helping people have a nice time. As far as being customer-centric and not being cheap, what are some specific things that you do that align with that mantra? I would say have good quality things within the units, and that includes the overall improvements of the space, but also good mattresses, good furnishings good linens, all those things, I think, help people feel like they're doing something special. Where we're at, people are coming for vacation primarily. I do have some business travelers, but for the most part, people are coming here for their anniversary. They're coming here for a family reunion. And as all of us can, I think, appreciate, when you're doing that, especially if it's the wife or the mom who's making those decisions, there's a certain level of expectation that has to be met. And it's pretty nice if you can see that. How do you get new vacationers or renters? What's your marketing source? For the longest time, VRBO did rule the day, and that is changing. Airbnb is the primary source now, and it has changed things, I would say, a bit. Occupancy is up, which is good, but there's good ways of using the two tools to really maximize, I would say, occupancy as well as overall revenue. You mean use them to complement each other? Is that what you're... Well, with VRBO, I have a better time, I would say, with finding the folks that are planning more in advance. 
they want to do a family reunion. They want to maybe rent all four of my units and they're willing to pay the premium price, especially in the high season. So I use VRBO to attract those people and to get that booking solidified several months in advance where Airbnb is a great tool to fill in for the handful of days that I may not have booked up in the peak season, but then it's a great driver in the off season to keep things full. Do you have a person who goes and gets the place clean? Absolutely. I hire all the cleaning work and the maintenance work, and I even have some help with the follow-up. But I am still involved probably a little more than I would like to be, and that's definitely a plan for the next year or two is to either hire that out or I might transition out. Even though I, I do enjoy the business, it is a labor of love sometimes. Mm-hmm. How much did you buy? You pick either one, the studio or the three-bedroom, two-bedroom. Well, just just curious about the numbers. Sure. Either one. Well, the studio actually is a garage apartment that's over my detached garage, and so where you live? A, yeah, where I oh. live, and so that's convenient, obviously. And then the other three are off the same driveway. Overall, we have about twenty acres off the same driveway, up in a relatively rural area, about ten minutes out of town, and so. That's why I say that it's very common for folks to rent all four units if they have a large group. So it works out pretty nice. But the studio is probably my favorite. It was my very first true real estate investment, I guess you could say, as an income source. And the neat thing about it is we don't have to have a bigger house. If we want to have guests come stay, I'll have them stay out in the vacation rental. So that's a nice use. So it was part of the house, and in 2016, it did over $27,000 gross. Some good stuff. Yeah, So and that also included me using it for, again, friends and family. So mm-hmm. that works out pretty well. On the management side of things, are you in charge of the leases on your small office complex and the point person for your tenants? Yeah, with the office building, it doesn't actually take that much time. And so I am the primary point person. And again, I have my own personal office in the complex too. So that's pretty easy. I do use, for all my out-of-state and out-of-town rentals, I use professional property management. Okay. Let's talk about those. What type of properties, you said you bought single-family homes in the downturn 2009 era. What type of deals were you looking at, and do you still have them, and can you tell us a little bit more about them? Yeah, I still have all the stuff that we did buy during that time and, and have added a bit since then. They're usually always a 60s, 70s, sometimes 80s vintage brick, three-bedroom, or more two-bath house. And this is what I'm talking about with the Texas portfolio, and it's the largest one. You used to be able to buy them, obviously, a lot cheaper, but the rehab goal is always around ten to $15,000 on the high side. We are renting a lot of them Section 8 also. Where are they in Texas? They're in the South Dallas metro area. Near Duncanville? Yeah, Duncanville, DeSoto, Lancaster, Glen Heights. I just guessed Duncanville because I have a four-bedroom, two-bath house, Section 8 in Duncanville, Texas. <laughs> yeah, or birds of a feather that way. Yes. What are the numbers on? Hot right now. Is it? All right. Well, yeah. bravo. You might want to sell. You might want to sell. <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I bought that house. That was my first purchase in 2009 
I bought it for 76000 and if you trust Zillow. But according to Zillow, it's doubled in value since then, and I've been making like 200 bucks a month off of it. Yeah, that's always the challenge. I think with some of the larger ones that I bought during that same time, whenever the leases come due, I'll have to take a hard look to see if it's just not going to be worth putting maybe twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 into the house and just kind of doing the delayed flip, I guess you would call it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us numbers on your Duncanville house? Actually, I don't have any in Duncanville. I have some that are right on the border of Duncanville and DeSoto. And so way back, bought it for, say, 60 put 20 into it, and then was able to rent it against Section 8 for throughout the time. This ranged from $1,200 to I think that one's going up for almost $1,400 now. The most recent one that I like, bought it for 81 had 12000 into it, and that one also rents for almost 13 How are you overseeing the renovation project while living in Colorado? I have a a really good trust level with the folks that help me down there. It's a husband and wife team. The husband has really good project management and construction experience. And so he's managing those rehabs and the wife does a really good job of vetting good tenants and just keeping on top of things. So I couldn't be here without them. How'd you meet them? We have some family that they also work with. So they're managing oh, probably around 60 doors right now, and they only have three customers, me and a couple other family members. So it's really good that we can all be on a good path and have a, a level of success and a level of trust with them. What can someone expect to pay a property management company for overseeing the renovation and then ongoing management? I think that would be case by case, but I think it's important not to go cheap on this. And obviously, if you scale up and you get more, you can get less than 10% on the property management side of things. But I try to always define the budget first and help them understand how it's going to be a win-win for everybody. Usually, they're going to make a couple thousand dollars on the project management just for getting the project done, but then the long-term benefit of having a good house that then you can attract good tenants, I think is key for that. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say that it's to be a good employer and be a good customer and a good partner whenever you're doing anything real estate related. Can you give us an example of how you do that? Sure. With contractors or with partners or with property managers, I pay quick and I don't try to just go as cheap as possible. I view it all as how can we all be successful and how can we all win and be where we want to be long term. For a best ever listener who might be thinking, well, if I'm not being cheap, then people are going to take advantage of me or I'm not going to maximize my dollar, what would your response be? Well, I've gone down that road. If you nickel and dime, you end up with poor quality. You'll get poor quality tenants and you'll get poor quality management. And after a while, they won't want to pick up the phone. I think it's more important to be in a situation in a relationship where Every time you call, every time you have an interaction, there is a good level of trust and integrity so that everybody can be successful. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Remember to get your free deal analysis tool for your flips at fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. 
That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. It will detail your scope of work, help you analyze if the project's profitable, and make a determination on the max purchase price. Fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. BestEverConference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to BestEverConference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com. Best ever book you've read? I would say it was just the past couple of years I read Brene Brown's Gift of Imperfection. And it was nice to kind of come to light of a hangup that I've had for a long time, which was just... I couldn't get over being wrong sometimes or not getting things as perfect as I would like. And that book really did a lot for me. Did Brene Brown, her name sounds familiar. Did she do a Ted talk? Yeah. I think she's been on twice, which maybe even three times. Vulnerability yeah. Ted talk. She's impressive. So yeah, yeah that was, that's a great Ted talk. Best ever listen. Make it a priority to go listen to her Ted talk. It's like power of vulnerability by Brene Brown. Really good one. Best ever personal growth experience. What'd you learn from it? I would say that it has to do with, again, kind of going cheap and path of least resistance. I went with the biggest name in the phone book on property management on a house in Denver, and we got taken for a ride on it, and we got bad service. We had a bad tenant. We had an eviction right out of the gate, and uh, that's what you get for being lazy. Mm. You evidently fired them. Who'd you go with, and how'd you find that? management company did a little bit more networking and through a broker that i worked with found somebody that was smaller and more hands-on and had a lot better reporting a lot better answers and a lot better response time best ever deal you've done goes back to the commercial building i think house flipping and single family buy and holds definitely can take you a long way in this world but the value add scenarios where you, you can get a, a boost from just Increasing gross revenue and lowering expenses. And then, you know, if you have some cap rate advantages go your way, then you can really go uh, take yourself to the next level on a commercial property. Best ever way you like to give back? It goes back to, again, being a, a good employer, a good partner, a good landlord. I do give back. We have young children, so I'm not able to do as much volunteering as I once did, but I try to give back in just my business dealings. So, Everything I do, I'm trying to think about how I can help the other party be successful in what they're trying to do in this world. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate investing? I would say being too conservative early on. We talked about those houses, uh, 2009 era in, in the South Dallas area. I should have just backed up the tractor in that time, but I would overanalyze. I would read the newspaper. I would see the destruction that was going on around that time, and I had a scarcity mindset from that. If I would have been more aggressive, I would be even at a, at a better place on the ML. Certainly grateful for what I have, but I would say you can't be too conservative depending on market conditions. Which type of investing asset class are you going to be focused on in the future? 
definitely looking at the more mid-sized deals. These are deals that are greater than 500000 but maybe less than $4 million. I think you're not getting the big institutional guys playing in those areas as much. And I think there's a lot of value-add opportunities still to be had. What's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, or feel free to give me a call. I like to chat with other real estate investors from around the country. I'm kind of nerdy that way. <laughs> well, and what's your number? 970-948-9474. Mark, thank you for being on the show and talking about the evolution of how you've grown your real estate empire from the small office complex that has been your most profitable purchase and the reconfiguration that you did with that. And then the vacation rentals and the tips you have along the way and the overarching theme of don't be cheap, right? <laughs> don't be cheap. As you say, if you nickel and dime, you end up with poor quality tenants and management, quote unquote. And then ultimately, we don't have the right team members in place. So thanks for being on the show, sharing your best ever advice, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Awesome. Appreciate it. Best ever listeners, it is here. Well, it's almost here. February 24th and 25th. The conference, the best ever conference. Have you signed up yet? Oh, if you haven't, you better sign up right now. It's going to sell out. Besteverconference.com. I'm going to be there. A bunch of the guests who you've heard interviewed on the show are going to be there. Just go to besteverconference.com and look at all the speakers that you're going to hear from that will help you move your business forward in 2017. I want to meet you in person. The best ever guests who are speaking at this event want to meet you in person. And people who haven't been interviewed on this podcast who are speaking at the conference, they want to meet you in person. Go to besteverconference.com.